And now a ball well hit, deep center field. Florial back, jumps, and it is gone. Matt Chapman hits one right over the 408 side for a home run to make it 5-2. That is a huge hit for the Blue Jays. Hey, what's going on? It's At The Letters, brought to you by Miller Lite, the original light beer, Arden Swelling, Ben Nicholson-Smith, coming from the stands at Yankee Stadium, because the Yankees have a very like exquisitely timed family picnic after today's game, after they lose three straight, and what is it, like three of, they've won three of their last 17, something ridiculous like that. Time to get together with friends and family and enjoy the good times, right? Yeah, see you at the Tiki Bar after our three and fourteen <laughs> run here. The Yankees are struggling. The fans are mad. There are a lot of questions around this Yankees team as we record this on Saturday after the Blue Jays' third consecutive win here in the Bronx. And, you know, of course, we're not at this point aware of what's happened in the Sunday game. But either way, the Blue Jays have already won this series. This is a Yankees team that you know, they're still a good team. They're still in a much better position than the Toronto Blue Jays. That is clear. However, things are really shifting. It's been a very eye-opening few games just to talk to some Yankees fans, see the interactions that are happening around here. It is a lot different than what I would have guessed. I wish I remembered it because Shai DVD was just telling me there's something like 3-12 and 12 or last 15. 3-14. and uh, 3-14, three and 14. Three and 14, right? But man, this Blue Jays team, like you said, they win the first three games of this series. By the time you listen to this, you'll know if they swept the series, if the Blue Jays merely won it 3-1. to one. If the Blue Jays sweep this, they are six games back of the Yankees for the division lead. And something I did not expect to be saying at this point in the season, suddenly the division's in play. Yeah, the division legitimately, as we record this now, I think it is in play. And that's wild. I mean, seven games out as we stand here at Yankee Stadium right now with six weeks to go or so. 43 games remaining. Something like that, 42. Um, yeah. So yeah, there. it is a lot of time remaining. Uh, not necessarily a ton. A lot of things would have to continue going the Blue Jays way. But this Yankees team, I mean, Josh Donaldson was ill. Anthony Rizzo doesn't seem to have his timing. Aroldis Chapman is a mess right now. Garrett Cole has been good, but not necessarily as dominant as you might expect from him. So they've got issues for sure. Um, And the Blue Jays have done a tremendous job in taking advantage of it. So honestly, like when I showed up here, Arden, I was not expecting to witness just the amount of vitriol directed toward the Yankees. Us or the Yankees? Toward Both? the Yankees players. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we, we maybe deal with a security <laughs> guard or two. They're dealing with 46,000 angry Yankee fans. And this is a team that's still well positioned to get the bye. But you play, you know, you win three of 17. And all of a sudden, the whole conversation around this Yankees team has really shifted. And that's an opportunity for the Jays. Yeah, Aaron Boone slamming the table at his post-game press conference. He's pissed off and fired up. I still kind of in the back of my head think, like, the Yankees are going to rattle off, like, 12 wins in a row. I think back to 2021 and how many times people are counting out the Yankees and firing Aaron Boone and trading half their team. And then where were they at the end of the year, right atop the AL East? So I kind of think it's still a very good team with a lot talent and they're bound to play better but right now they're playing pretty pretty poorly and as a Blue Jays fan no one's going to be mad at you if you are enjoying that just a little bit oh exactly I think that for a Jays team or a Jays fan base that's been through a lot uh, certainly had a lot of uh, tough moments in the last little while now all of a sudden the Jays are playing really well so that's something to enjoy for Blue Jays fans even if I agree with you Arden you know you look big picture and I don't know what the odds say at this point in time. You got to think the Yankees still have an 85 or 90% chance at the division. Yeah. But hey, 10 or 15% is not nothing. 
you have a chance um, at that point. And strange things happen in baseball, as we saw with Mitch White going up against Garrett Cole. And who comes out ahead in that one? It's Mitch White, who we just talked to downstairs uh, here at Yankee Stadium. And Garrett Cole is the one who got booed off the mound. Not what we would have predicted. That's kind of what I love about this Blue Jays win as well is because it's narrative busting. And I, we were going through it before mm-hmm. the game. I was like, how can we bust some narratives here at Yankee Stadium? Oh, the Blue Jays didn't have a good enough trade deadline. They didn't get impactful enough talent. Well, here's Mitch White doing his job, right? No one's expected him to go eight shutout. But when he five and dives and allows some traffic but doesn't allow it to score and gets himself out of trouble and finds a big pitch when he needs it, He's done his job. He's done what you expect. Here's Anthony Bass and Zach Pop coming out of the bullpen on a day when Jordan Romano isn't available, giving the Blue Jays reliable relief. Here's Jackie Bradley yeah. Jr. with an opposite field double on like a 99-mile-an-hour pitch. Don't look at the expected batting average on it. Don't look at the exit velo. Don't look at the route that Andrew Benintendi took. The ball dropped in. The result is what matters. It's the Blue Jays' additions. It's the new guys who came through and helped them win this game on Saturday. And definitely don't read the transcript of what was said in the press box as Jackie Bradley Jr. was stepping in because uh, some of us, including Shai Davidi, yourself and me, were debating, hey, would they think about pinch hitting George Springer in this spot? Yep. Is that you know a, a call that might actually have some merit behind it? They let Jackie Bradley Jr. hit. He comes through. And you know, like you say, Arden, this is a group of newcomers that have contributed to this team um, in significant ways. Obviously, this is their biggest division rival on the road, uh, a big win. Now, that doesn't change to me the discussions that we've had around this team and their need potentially for one more arm because you don't want to be in a position where Mitch White is someone you're depending on. You want him to be that layer of depth. Zach Pop, you know, we've seen him step into some big spots, but of course you would still benefit from one more good arm as opposed to, for argument's sake, Trevor Richards in this bullpen. Right. So, but hey, for now, they're making it work and they're making some serious ground up in the standings. 110 XBA, by the way, on that Jackie Bradley Jr. hit, but who cares? This was the one of the 11% of the time that that ball drops in and the Blue Jays win a game. You and I were kind of picking away at some ideas in the press box today about these final 42, 43, however many games, which Blue Jays need to keep doing what they're doing, which Blue Jays need to actually do a bit more over the final six weeks to the Blue Jays to be successful. Let's start with who needs to do a bit more for you. Who do you think needs to do a bit more for this club for the Blue Jays to get where they're trying to go? I'm going to go with Jose Barrios here. And the reason for that is pretty simple. I mean, we can look at all the advanced numbers and we should and we do, but just bring up the ERA table, sort from top to bottom and who has the highest ERA in Major League Baseball among qualified starters. It's Jose Barrios, who has allowed the most home runs in Major League Baseball. You don't need a journalism degree for that one. You really don't. You don't (laughs) need to have any sort of advanced stats knowledge. It's pretty simple. He has been ineffective this year. And a lot of that comes down to the fastball, location. It's been getting hammered. You look at the numbers, it's been getting crushed. So he really does need to turn that around. He is pitching right now at replacement level. And he's getting paid like a number two or three starter. So that must change for the Blue Jays. Uh, to get to where they need to go. Uh, if they do want to make up this ground on the Yankees, they need more from Jose Barrios. So he's my answer, but what about you? Well, it's just on Barrios. Like He's got to get it to a point where there is no question about him starting Game 3 of a playoff yeah. series. right? The fact that we're even debating him v. Stripling for Game 3 of a playoff series. Look, Ross Stripling's been phenomenal. He's also been deployed very intelligently. Only yeah. two trips through, and that's it with him. But I guess in the postseason, you're really only going two trips through with most guys. Yes. right? 
right? Even the best of the best aren't getting too deep into their third time through the order, although that also depends on the type of bullpen that you have and the type of availability that you have. I think it'll be a question for the Blue Jays throughout the postseason. But yeah, Jose Brios has got to get to a point where it's not even a debate, where it's, of course, Jose Brios is starting game number three. He's got to stop this enormous peaks and valleys thing, yeah. get somewhere more towards the middle. Um, For me, it's Bo Bichette. I just think I look at this lineup and I think about who could bring a bit more and Bo Bichette is the guy for me. You look at the season that he's having, he's not going to reach the numbers he produced last year. Like he's no. not going to reach 2020 homers. Yeah, he's yeah. not going to replicate 2021. Like he's just not going to get back up there. Even if he goes gangbusters for the rest of the season, he can only pull up that batting average, that OBP, that way runs created plus so much because he's like 500 plate appearances into his season but what he can do over the final six weeks is play like the guy who he was last year because that won't have that much of an impact on his season-long stats but will have a huge impact on the Blue Jays wins and losses and the Blue Jays numbers in the standings so to me if Bo Bichette shows up and looks like 2021 guy atop the order bunch of hits a walk here and there he's never going to walk a ton but like that five and a half six percent walk rate it's more that pop that we haven't really seen this year get the obp up a little bit i think that he would be you know i think that would be really huge for this club yeah absolutely slash some doubles the other way see some more homers go over the right field wall uh and really just add some more offensively defensively too he made an error here on saturday you want to see consistency from him defensively but really it's the offense that's been lacking um from Bo. so i like that answer i think that makes a ton of sense for this team i feel like he's been pretty steady defensively this year yeah like i feel like he's been good honestly as a shortstop defensively which is saying something because coming up he was a guy who anyone would tell you this guy's gonna be a second baseman sure he's not gonna stick it short so i think you have to give him credit that even though he has been struggling offensively he hasn't taken that into the field well and as long as we're talking about his facets of the game i mean he ran a lot last year and hasn't really run this year so if he wants to find ways to add value maybe he does what marcus Semyon did early in the season when he wasn't hitting in texas he was running a ton so you know there are different ways for guys to contribute and bo's a guy who has shown in the past an ability to steal some bases. Bo's just had fewer opportunities because his on-base this season is what his batting average was in 2021. So he's just been on base fewer times. Uh, The other question was, who needs to keep doing what they are doing? Who you got on in that regard? And and to me, this is an easy one. I'm just going to go Ross Stripling. I mean, you look at, he's pitched in 24 games. I was looking at the numbers earlier. And 24 games this season, he has allowed three runs two times. He has allowed four runs once. And in the other 21 outings, it's been zero, one, or two. And granted, some of those are relief outings. Of course, he got a save earlier in the year. But this is someone who is almost never putting this team out of the game. When he takes them out, he's going to keep the team in the game. And you don't need Ross Stripling to be someone who is a frontline starter. Although, hey, if the changeup continues to play, curveball, you know, they'll take what they can get, of course. But if he is someone who can just continue with that consistency, give them, he's on pace for 120 innings, three war, that is an incredibly important contributor to this team. I got two, and one's just because I want to shout out Ben Wagner because we did a little bit with him before the game for a podcast that's going to come out later where we kind of talk about the Blue Jays to watch over the rest of the year. And Ben, like, pulled Jimmy Garcia out of left field, and we were talking about how, well, you know what? There might be a day when Jordan Romano's not available and Jimmy Garcia has to save the game, and then, hello, that exact 
uh, circumstance played out here on Saturday at Yankee Stadium. And we probably don't talk enough about how consistent and reliable and dependable Jimmy Garcia has been. So that's one guy who I think needs to keep doing what he's doing. But another is Matt Chapman. He went deep here on Saturday at Yankee Stadium, gave him uh, the Blue Jays' little insurance run late. And, I mean, you can play the arbitrary endpoints game with his season a few different ways. If you make it just recently, like just last 120, 130 plate appearances, he's like gangbusters. He's like 960 OPS. If you stretch it back to like 300, 400 plate appearances, he's less than that, probably like 860 range. And then if you look at the full season, it's kind of like, man, it kind of leaves you wanting a little bit because he's like, because he had that massive funk earlier in the year where he wasn't seeing the results. He was so unlucky on balls in play. He was striking the ball as hard as anybody in baseball. Had these huge exit velocities, huge expected batting averages, and he was that guy who, in April and early May, it was like, and it dies at the track. Yes. And another deep fly ball caught by whoever, right? Like, Or he was the guy who was just lining laser beams at shortstops or into shifts. Some of that luck has come back around, and I think the match happens been really steady with his approach throughout the slumps, throughout the surges. So I think if he keeps doing what he's doing right now like he just gives you that production from like five six even seven in your batting order that all really good teams get and that helps kind of lengthen your lineup makes you harder to pitch to late in games early in games even and just kind of provides a nice offensive floor for a club that offensively as a whole in the aggregate all year is like a top five team that's right and i think if you look at chapman in the whole offensively i mean the ops now i'm gonna guess is 795 as we're i don't have it in front of me but i think that it's in that range and so even if that's what it gives you at a time that league OPS is uh, 7.15 to pull a number out of thin air um, that I think would be within a few points of where it is you know that's significantly above average offensive production and significantly better than average defensive production and he takes the field every day so to me Chapman is someone who even if it doesn't improve even if he doesn't stay on this track where he's been improving um, and hitting better you just take the season-long numbers, do that for another 40 games, I think the Jays are going to be thrilled. I think it was just easy to come into this season and look at who he was when he was like MVP candidate and then look at like the very obvious reason why he wouldn't have produced as well in the last couple of years, and that's like a major hip injury, major hip surgery on his labrum and his hip and kind of think like, oh, well, he's a year past that and he's still pretty young, right? He's still two years from free agency. Like Maybe he can be the MVP guy again. Like Those are kind of the conversations we're having coming in to the year in hindsight maybe expectations set a little too high but i think you make a good point that like he's been fine yeah. for this club better like, than you're, fine you're totally happy with the match chapman gave you and defense doesn't slump his yep. defense has been solid all year like of course you're gonna you know the misplays are gonna stick out in your mind but what doesn't stick out in your mind is the like plays that are made at an exceptionally elite level all the time by this guy and the Blue Jays pitching staff gets a lot of ground balls to third base and Matt Chapman honestly has been a vacuum and and not to totally sidetrack us here but my mind is just kind of spurred on by what you say when you say defense doesn't slump and for Matt Chapman that's actually 100% accurate now for some people like Jose Altuve just as a name that comes to mind 
he gets the yips in October and then it comes back and then he gets it. And talking to some people around the team, they are just really floored by the ability that Matt Chapman has. And we've had these conversations uh, you know, over the last few months here. Um, but, but it's really the ability to be so consistent, to be so mentally consistent, physically consistent with his mechanics, with his preparation, to the point that you know exactly what you're getting defensively. And that's not a given in this league. Time now for Major League Beer for Major League Baseball. Brought to you by Miller Lite, the original light beer. Ben, we are going to squeeze as much out of being in New York as possible. We have reached into the depths of our idea bag for something Yankees and Blue Jays related. Who, in your mind, is the best player to play for both the New York Yankees and the Toronto Blue Jays? Well... I might be stretching the definition of best here, but I will present a player who had great careers with both the Blue Jays and Yankees, some great moments with both the Blue Jays and Yankees. You can go back in the history books a little bit for David Wells, um, just a, you know, a player who clearly was larger than life. I love the fact that he tried to wear Babe Ruth's hat uh, in a real major league game, pitched a perfect game, of course, for the Yankees, 18 win season with them in 1998, big part of their success in the Bronx. And then, of course, traded to the Blue Jays and won 20 games with the Blue Jays. So he had a good, really good season or career with the Blue Jays. Of course, two-time Blue Jay early in his career and then again later um, after being uh, in New York and elsewhere. So David Wells, I think, deserves a shout-out. He's not necessarily the Cy Young caliber of some, but still had some great moments and kind of a larger-than-life legend when you think about the kind of Yankee uh, history that he loved and some of those things that he tried to do. Anyone who disrespects Babe Ruth is a friend of mine, so uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll take that. That much is clear after this weekend. <laughs> but for me, uh, I'm going to go Roger Clemens, uh, who was, I mean, when he was at the Blue Jays, was phenomenal. When he got to the Yankees, honestly, kind of a little over the hill by that point. He was like almost 40 when Clemens was, was in New York. Not his like best peak prime years. At Rogers Center, though, then Skydome, prime Roger Clemens. I'll leave it to your imagination as to why that was. But Roger Clemens, to me, best player to wear both pinstripes and uh, whatever the colloquial term is for Blue Jays uniform as well. And I think that's undeniable. I think on, on pure talent and pure production, Cy Young's, I mean, Clemens is certainly a better pitcher than David Wells. Um, so that's a great choice. Not a more fun pitcher than David no. Wells. Maybe fun in a different way. Anyway, much more when we continue on At The Letters. All right, Arden and Ben here at Yankee Stadium. It's Sunday. It's the series finale. Excited for that one. We just talked to Mitch White, and that's what you're going to hear next. Toronto Blue Jays starter, Mitch White. And the 1-2 pitch, and he got him to chase a slider down and in for a big first out. Second time in a row. Mitch White's with us. It's Sunday at Yankee Stadium. He started on Saturday, and man, I feel like there was a lot going on. In that outing, yeah. family in the stands, traffic on the base paths, yep. it's a million degrees. Are you kind of better now at this point in your career in managing all those circumstances than maybe you would have been a few years ago? 100%. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that just comes with experience, and there's really no, there's no replacing that. You just kind of have to go out and do it, and the more you do it, the better it comes. Obviously, there's a lot of traffic and not ideal, but we got around it eventually. <laughs> you were saying yesterday after your start that 
you know, even though this is Yankee Stadium, and if you kind of open up your eyes, it's like, whoa, there's a lot of legends here, a lot of ghosts here at this place, a place that you've gone to even as a fan, um, not as a pitcher. And you were able to kind of block that out when you're facing Garrett Cole, who, you know, I don't have to tell anyone listening or watching, Garrett Cole's a really good pitcher. So how are you able to kind of block that out and really focus on the task at hand? Uh, part of it is just kind of not looking up. You know, you just, I got one place I got to look. I got my target and the catcher. Um, and the hitter, and that's about it. You block everything else out as best you can. Um, it's another thing. I don't know. It just kind of you get better at it as you go. Yeah. Do you have like focus cues like that on the mound? Things you look at, things you tell yourself. I hear pitchers sometimes talk about things they'll kind of yeah for themselves. sure. Yeah. I mean, like sometimes I'll look around and try to find like in college I had kind of a gimmicky little thing. You look at a, you find a zero and you reset. That was one right. thing or. You just find something out in space to take a deep breath, reset, and then get back on the on the glove. Um, that's usually what I end up doing, yeah. And presumably, I mean, coming from the Dodgers, and we're pretty locked on Jays here, so you know we're not following the Dodgers to that same extent. But you're playing big games. That is a team that is accustomed to winning. That is a team that has a very devoted fan base. How did those experiences kind of set you up to be, okay, American League East, like, let's go, Yankees, Jays, like, those are big moments as well? For sure. I mean, playing some of those games in Dodger Stadium where it gets loud as anywhere else I've been, um, those games are fun, and and you kind of once I got to the point where I could use that to benefit me and, and ride that adrenaline wave as opposed to getting a little tight and getting a little, you know, try to do too much, um, I kind of learned to use that to help me as opposed to hurt me. And I think that's a big part of it. I was watching Dustin May yesterday. Yeah. I mean, so he was good. electric, <laughs> yeah. right? And I was kind of thinking, man, like you've been around some unbelievable pitchers, him, Gonsolin, Kershaw, Scherzer. Yep. Was there one guy who you really, really enjoyed watching from the dugout? Like, is there, um, and I know you don't want to pick just one. Yeah, I mean, I, all of them. Yeah. Because it was, it was pretty crazy. Night in, night out. You know, you knew exactly what you are getting from all those guys. And I think for me, Kirsch, Kirsch was special um, just because, I mean, obviously he's a legend, but he's also a guy who's just so disciplined with what he does. He knows exactly what he's trying to do, yeah. and it's about the execution for him. Um, obviously, he's got this great stuff, but the reason he's so good is because he executes glove side heater, glove side slider to a T. And he has other wrinkles, obviously, but that's his bread and butter, and he knows what he's doing. and that's all he does. I that's feel like he's, he needs to do. he's so convicted in that yeah. gameplay. It, it almost yeah. feels like it's the same game plan every time out, regardless of who the opponent is. And it's incredible because he's just better than the hitters. <laughs> and, and he beats them up and, and wears them down, and that's it. That's awesome. So I guess how do you go about observing a pitcher like that? Um, what are the things that you're looking for? Is it kind of preparation or is it even like little things, the team hotel or, you know, between games, or is it purely like you're watching video and you're seeing how he executes? What are the things that you kind of look for? I mean, all of the above to a certain extent, uh, it depends on who you're talking about. I mean, so for example, Tony has a very, Tony Gonsolin has a very, um, structured way to game plan he's looking at certain numbers that he finds important and then he matches those with video um so i try to take pieces from that and learn about how i want to game plan for hitters um kirsch has like an extraordinary feel for the game where like i'll be sitting on the bench with him and he'll notice these tiny little weird details 
Um, and it's just interesting because you hear those kind of things from guys around the league who, who've been around the league and they just have a different way of looking at the game. So you pick up on that kind of stuff. Do you have an example of one of those details? Like one of I those was times? actually just talking about it. So it's just like, I don't know, it's small stuff, but like sitting on the bench, there's a guy on first, random, say, 1-0 count, and you just see something. He's like, oh, he's going to run here. And it's like, okay, I mean, I don't know. And then he runs. <laughs> and you ask him why, and he has no idea. He just felt it wow it's like that kind of feel i guess yeah it's, it's just cool it's just different i feel like there's a million little things like that going on on the oh, field yeah. that we're not picking up from yeah. you know thirty thousand sure. feet i think about like pitch tipping and some of the yeah. small little mm-hmm. things that hitters are able to pick up yeah. that it's like mitch white's about to throw a sliding mm-hmm. have you ever had anything like that yeah like- i've had a lot, <laughs> a lot of that stuff i mean back in la at least we'd we had guys constantly looking at my stuff and then obviously looking at opposing pitchers. Um, so I've had to clean up a lot in the past. For example, I had a glove tip or a glove tap, yeah. kind of like what Gossman does, where you like you get out, you build up and then tap here and go. But yeah. I was leaking open so you could see the spike on my curveball and slider or change up. Ah. Oh. So hitters were picking up on that. I had to mix that up. Stuff yeah. like that. I mean, it's tiny little, you don't even realize you're doing it. And you've got kind of a spike on your slider mm-hmm. too. So it would be possible for a hitter to see that yeah. peeking out of your glove. They see breaking ball or they see fastball. I mean, that's pretty much, that's the majority of what I throw is breaking balls and fastballs, obviously. So that's a big, yeah, big help for them. <laughs> I guess as you're kind of looking at that cat and mouse game between hitter and pitcher, who are some of the hitters that you enjoy kind of facing off against and saying like, look, like I know you're an amazing hitter, but you're going to try to beat them with your with your stuff and with your, yeah. your thinking. I mean, sure. Like, so when I'm breaking down a lineup, there's always one, two, three guys in the order that you're kind of targeting. It's like, I'm not going to get beat by this guy. Yeah. Um, guys that I've faced a lot in the past are like... Uh, I don't know, like a Manny Machado type or Charlie Blackman with the Rockies or, you know, there's a lot of guys like that where you have these battles and if I execute my pitches, I'm comfortable knowing that, you know, I can get them out, but they're also really good. And even when I do, they can still do damage. Um, So those are the guys you just have to be careful and kind of work around. Yeah. And, and, you know, here yesterday you're facing a guy who's probably going to win MVP and Aaron Judge having an amazing season. He might hit 60 home runs. When you're facing a guy who's that good, I mean, what's the game plan? It depends on the situation. So I think yesterday was a good example. I faced him twice the first time with some traffic on. And that's when we start spinning and we start being a little cuter and finer. Right. And it's okay if we walk him. Yeah. The second time I throw a heater and it, it leaked middle, but it's like, I'm fine with that. Oh, oh, get a swing. If it doesn't hit me in the butt, it's probably an out because of the shift. <laughs> so like, that's a win in my book. I mean, maybe not a win, but that's, yeah. you know, it's not the worst outcome. 108. Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thinking about the sort of Clayton Kershaw spectrum of understanding or like noticing little things on the baseball field, where have you kind of gotten <laughs> to at this point? Like, you've got to be better now oh, than you sure, were, yeah. right? I mean, there's something different about being out, out on the field in a big league game and watching guys play over and over and you pick up on things. But it's something I need to work on being just conscious about what's going on in the game while also like being able to have fun and, and talk about whatever, you know, it's that ability to be locked in on the game while 
talking to the guy next to you or talking about an AB or a hitter or whatever. Do you read swings from the mound and get an idea of where you want to go? Or do you more leave that to your catcher? Because I would assume that's one of those things is thinking about, yeah. hey, last time I faced Judge and yeah. you know my heater leaked, but it wasn't great contact or his swing was here. For sure, like, yeah. I mean, I, you got to be conscious of that. I mean, most of it is game plan when we stick to that because we know we know what we're looking for from before the game. But that being said, if there's something that's glaring in a, in a swing or, or throughout the at-bat, then you pick which pitch you're going to go with um, no matter what. Like if the guy's late to the heater, then we're going to throw more heaters or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and some of that is just another feel thing. Like as you turn the lineup over, you get that feel and you're more comfortable making these calls against certain hitters. I guess one thing I wanted to ask you about too is managers and how you relate to them because the two managers that you've had this season are, are both you know really well regarded but in kind of different ways. Dave Roberts has won a World Series. He's someone who's very experienced with an organization that's just like we're going to win every single year and then John Schneider's in because the previous manager was fired before you got here. So he's on an interim basis. He's a rookie manager. So not rookie in baseball but new to this gig. So what have you observed or, or experienced with those two guys? Yeah, I mean, I, I think Doc Doc did a great job of just managing all the personalities, and, and obviously that team was so good, it was just plug and play in terms of on the field. But it's also the stuff that goes on behind the scenes, to the media. He was the face of the team yeah. and took a lot of heat off the guys. Instead of them having to deal with this stuff, he was able to take the brunt. And I think unfortunate for a lot of managers, I mean, part of the stress of that role is you have to take the blame because that's your it's your ship. And I think with Schneids, it's been very similar. I mean, he's great. He's been yeah. awesome. Um, really, like, the communication's been great from day one. He's been accountable. He's been all over this stuff. Just from the short period of time I've been able to be around him, it's been good. Awesome. And when you first got here, I mean, the team was scuffling yeah. a little bit and very recently it has come out of it. And teams, all teams are streaky, right? Yeah. Like they ebb and they flow. No was, is there a difference in the way this team's playing now here in the last day at Yankee Stadium to maybe the way it was when you first got here? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It, it felt like when I first got here, I guess, it, things were just not going our way. And yeah. I think, I don't know, baseball is just weird like that. Like it just takes one big game, like our last game in Toronto where things kind of clicked. Right. And then hitters get their swagger back, pitchers get their swagger back, same thing. The pen's been awesome. Um, and when you have a guy like Goss and Berrios and Manoa and Strip to reset that, um, the mojo a little bit, then it makes it easy. And I'm sure when you first got here, immediately into the rotation, yeah had to be somewhat of a nervous thing your first start in toronto right like yeah. with a team where things aren't going well but did that kind of amplify it a little bit as well i don't know yeah. i mean going back to that outing i was definitely juiced up more juiced up than i realized i think <laughs> coming in those first seven pitches right but uh i don't know i tried it at least like i say here it's like keep just focus on what is in front of you and Dream. not worry about all that other stuff. Do you remember what you thought in that moment when it was like pitch six missed, <laughs> yeah. pitch seven missed? I remember thinking like, I'm not that far off, am I? <laughs> and like, I was, was kind of laughing to myself and Chappie was talking to me from third and he was yeah. like, all right. And then I, when I did finally throw a strike, I, the whole stadium kind of 
gave me a little something. I think I clapped myself like an idiot, but <laughs> <laughs> just joined in. Yeah, I was yeah. like, all right, this is what we're doing, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it felt good to get the first strike out of the way. <laughs> I always wanted to ask a pitcher, like in a moment like that, you see the third baseman come in to say something, or yeah. the pitching coach. Yeah. Does that act, does that help, or would uh, you rather just throw the next pitch? Well, not, sometimes. I mean, yeah. it, it's definitely like there's times where you need a reset. Yeah. You need something external to get you back in it, because if for me especially, I've had trouble where I just I let the snowball happen, and once you do that, you're dead in the water. Yeah. And it's like. All right, I'm giving in. I'm throwing a heater over the plate just because I want, I need to throw a strike. Yeah. That's when you get hurt. Right. So those are the moments where you reset, get back to throwing quality pitches, balls or strikes, whatever, um, and then you can kind of salvage the rest of it. What do you want to hear from a third baseman in that moment, or from a pitching coach, like as a pitcher? I think I do better with like a little joke or something yeah. like that. Like it's not, I don't need a rah rah kind of situation. And right. Chappie was great at that. He just gave me like a little laugh and was like, "Hey, first time throwing in front of the home crowd, like, not <laughs> a boy, that kind right, of thing." Yeah. It's not. I don't need like a let's go, let's like get yeah. fired up. Is it almost the tone of it then? It's just like yeah. you see that he's relaxed and it's like, okay, I can relax yeah, too. Like Matt Chapman's kind of good with this. Yeah, exactly. I and think then, people think that the pitching coach comes out or Chapman comes out and it's like, you need to get it together. Yeah, no. But a lot of times it might just be like, you've like pitched before, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, you're good, yeah. right? <laughs> and that, yeah, and Pete was great. That's that's what I that's what I needed to hear. I mean, he had a, another mountain visit yesterday too and it was the same thing and was like, all right, what do we want to throw here? Let's simplify. Let's get this guy out right here and just clarify things and make it simple. Pete's also talked a lot about you just continuing to do what you had done in Los Angeles, yeah. not coming in here and being like, all right, you're going to up the usage on yeah, this. Yeah. You're going to change that. Is that how you feel? Like you're just kind of carrying yeah. over what you've been doing. Maybe in the spring, look at doing some different things, exactly. but right now just consistency. I mean, for me, it's always been a fine line because I like to tinker with things. I like to try new shapes and pitches and whatever. And we've certainly already added a little bit, but the bread and butter there is still the same. I mean, I'm still going to be throwing a lot of sliders to righties, down and away heaters, good down and away heaters, lefties. We're going to go up and in. We're going to throw the curveball. Now we've added a little wrinkle with the back foot slider a little more often, yeah. but like, you know, it's just it's just a it's just a a game trying to find the middle, the happy medium. I'm sure that's been suggested to you before that yeah. slider to lefties, back foot. Like, why in the past has it? Have you been reluctant to go to it, or has it not worked for you? Because it's pretty effective so far from what I've Thank seen. Thank you. Yeah, um, it looks good. It's on Pitching Ninja, so it must be good. <laughs> That's right? a good sign. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I, for whatever reason, we just we simplified things before where it was like fastball, curveball in general to lefties, fastball, slider to righties. Um, but now we're adding new wrinkles because it's like a, it's one thing to see guys twice but i think that third time through fourth time through eventually you need to add a little different look in there um and i think the change up's been helpful with that i've been throwing that more throwing a little more slider to lefties maybe change up to righties that kind of thing that always helps my last thought just what have you learned about this team and its potential since you've been here because i feel like we're starting to see it this weekend in the bronx whereas it wasn't really realizing earlier yeah i mean from the start it's weird being on the West Coast because you see all these games and you always see that we would always see the Blue Jays play. They're on in the clubhouse when all you guys are getting ready, right? All the yeah. time. And you you watch the way everyone is in the dugout and how 
like happy and excited and fun it is and you see that environment i think that plays a lot um beyond just the talent which is obvious um so that's kind of that whole thing where it's like when i learned i was coming here it was all right let's go this is a fun team this is a cool team we got some talent we can do this and i think we're showing it all right mitch white showing up here thanks so much for the time yeah of course thank you guys appreciate it our thanks to Nick Andrade and Christian Ryan for their production here this weekend in the Bronx. Our thanks to you for watching. Ben Exton Smith, Arden Zwelling. This has been At The Letters.